I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, I am here in a temporary studio today. Uh, I'm in the process of moving from the Tulsa, Oklahoma area to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Now, it's not going to affect you at all because we've got this week's show and we've got next week's show and we'll just continue on doing our recordings. Uh, Today's show may seem a little bit more echoey uh, because I have nothing on my walls here in my house. Uh, Everything is off and uh, staged to sell. And we're going down, going to be near a lot of family. We're looking forward to it. My parents are there, both my brothers, all of their uh, many children are also all my nieces and nephews, my kids' cousins, uh, which are one and the same. If you're if you're good at that kind of thing, you probably got that figured out. Uh, but yeah, all my whole family's down there. We've got a, a great new opportunity there, and are looking forward to being in that area. If you uh, if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, listening maybe on Breadbox Media, one of our uh, outlets, then give me a shout out. Let me know that you're there. Uh, course we've got several of our guests in the past and in the and again future guests that are in that area looking forward to maybe having them actually in studio rather than on the phone uh, so if you're in that area go ahead and give me a shout out uh, my my social media is facebook.com slash step outside the walls uh, and then of course on twitter the handle is at outside the walls well, this is a day of transition. It's it's a week of transition between uh, this week's show and next week's show. I will be taking off. I'll be off into the wild blue yonder, as they say, or or uh, happy trails until we meet again. Right? We're we're going to meet again next week, but it's going to be from a different location. So uh, I want to go ahead and get started this week. There's a lot to talk about, and I want to talk about. Uh, the, the Senate of the family and specifically one aspect of the Senate of the family. And that is how we who have no say in the matter, how we approach the Senate, how we approach the, those Senate fathers that are there, all the bishops, how we approach uh, our understanding of the Pope and, and what he is endeavoring to do through this Senate of the family. Uh, and we're going to approach that through scripture and we're going to approach that through Uh, some of the teaching of the church. And today's readings really kind of address some of what I want to to hit in that second segment. Uh, And so we're going to go ahead and start, as always, with prayer and then also with scripture. I also want to start today uh, with a different kind of reading than we normally do. Uh, We pull a lot of our readings out of the breviary. And one of the things every day in the breviary that is done is the Magnificat is prayed. And the Magnificat is that that prayer that Mary proclaimed uh, after the fiat, after she said, let it be done to me according to thy word. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And she said this, and we're going to pray this together. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant, From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All-powerful and ever-living God, our source of power and inspiration, give us strength and joy in serving you as followers of Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today's readings from Scripture uh, are the memorial of St. Ignatius of Antioch, Bishop and Martyr, uh, and our first reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, it was not through the law that the promise was made to Abraham and his descendants that he would inherit the world, but through the righteousness that comes from faith. For this reason, it depends on faith, so that it may be a gift, and the promise may be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to those who adhere to the law, but those who follow the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into being what does not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, that he would become the father of many nations. According to what was said, thus shall your descendants be. That reading again comes from the book of Romans, chapter 4. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 105. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. You descendants of Abraham, his servants, you sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, he, the Lord, is our God. Throughout the earth, his judgments prevail. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. He remembers forever his covenant, which he made binding for a thousand generations, which he entered into with Abraham and by his oath to Isaac. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. For he remembers his holy word to his servant Abraham, and he led forth his people with joy, with shouts of joy, his chosen ones. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. Today's gospel comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, Everyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When they take you before the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, do not worry about how or what your defense will be, or about what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that moment what you should say. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. There is so much to say today. Uh, You know, we're right in the thick of the Senate of the Families. 
uh, the second one, of course, last year we had the extraordinary Senate of the family. And then this year we have the ordinary Senate of the family. Of course, extraordinary Senate means it was a Senate that occurred not at the normal time. And this is a Senate that occurs at the time that you would expect a Senate to occur. And this uh, theme just happened to be uh, on the family. And so here we are in the midst of the ordinary Senate. And it's just, it's almost as bad as election season. You know, just the, the amount of really almost panic that I see uh, among the blogosphere, among uh, other authors and people uh, who I interact with on social media. There's just a, a great deal of uh, really scrutinizing what comes out of it. Everybody's paying very careful attention as if something might get snuck by if they don't pay very careful attention. And, and I'm just, I'm kind of shocked by it. And so today I'm really loving the readings as, as I've been planning on talking about the Synod for a couple of weeks now. Uh, that here we have just this reminder that we receive the promise through faith, not through any adherence to, uh, to, to, to the reception of the law or of the Mosaic law or of, or of anything so stringent, but we receive it through faith and that the promise is guaranteed to all of Abraham's descendants. So we start there in that first reading in Romans that uh For this reason, it depends on faith so that it may be a gift and the promise may be guaranteed to all his descendants, right? And then we move into the psalm and we're reminded the Lord remembers his covenant forever. God hasn't forgotten his promises. We receive those promises by faith and God has not forgotten his promises. And then we end, of course, in the gospel where Christ is saying to those who are his disciples, his apostles, Don't worry about what you are to say when you get taken before rulers and authorities. Uh, And and most importantly, uh, don't be scared, don't be frightened to acknowledge Christ before men, right? Even when uh, when it comes at, at a price, don't be ashamed to declare Christ and declare the truth before men in all compassion and all truth and all love uh, but don't be don't be ashamed because as we proclaim the truth of what we know, uh, then Christ, to that same measure, acknowledges us as we acknowledge Christ before men. He acknowledges us before His heavenly Father, and I, I tell you that's a pretty good trade. It's a pretty good trade. Uh, and so today's reading from church history is going to dovetail right in on all of this. It's a letter from Saint Augustine on the the Lord's Prayer. Uh, that prayer that we pray each week here on the show, that that Christ taught his apostles in the gospel. Uh, And so here we have a letter uh, to Proba by St. Augustine. We need to use words so that we may remind ourselves to consider carefully what we are asking, not so that we may think we can instruct the Lord or prevail on him. Thus, when we say, Hallowed be your name, We are reminding ourselves to desire that his name, which in fact is always holy, should also be considered holy among men. I mean that it should not be held in contempt. But this is a help for men, not for God. And as for our saying, your kingdom come, it will surely come whether we will it or not. But we are stirring up our desires for the kingdom so that it can come to us and we can deserve to reign there. 
When we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking for him to make us obedient so that his will may be done in us as it is done in heaven by his angels. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, in saying this day, we mean in this world. Here, we ask for a sufficiency by specifying the most important part of it. That is, we use the word bread to stand for everything. Or else we're asking for the sacrament for the faithful, which is necessary in this world, not to gain temporal happiness, but to gain the happiness that is everlasting. When we say, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, we are reminding ourselves of what we must ask and what we must do in order to be worthy and turn to receive. When we say, lead us not into temptation, we're reminding ourselves to ask that his help may not depart from us. Otherwise, we could be seduced and consent to some temptation, or to despair and yield to it. When we say, deliver us from evil, we are reminding ourselves to reflect on the fact that we do not yet enjoy the state of blessedness in which we shall suffer no evil. This is the final petition contained in the Lord's Prayer, and it has a wide application. In this petition, the Christian can utter his cries of sorrow. In it, he can shed his tears, and through it, he can begin, continue, and conclude his prayer. Whatever the distress in which he finds himself, yes, it is very appropriate that all these truths should be entrusted to us to remember in these very words. Whatever be the other words we may prefer to say, words which the one praying chooses so that his disposition may become clearer to himself, or which he simply adopts so that his disposition may be intensified, We say nothing that is not contained in the Lord's Prayer, provided, of course, we are praying in a correct and proper way. But if anyone says something which is incompatible with this prayer of the gospel, he is praying in the flesh, even if he is not praying sinfully. And yet, I do not know how this could be termed anything but sinful, since those who are born again through the Spirit ought to pray only in the Spirit. That reading comes from St. Augustine, And there's a broad application for us as we look to the Synod of the Family. We're going to be addressing that in the next segment. You're going to want to stick around. Join us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Much more to come just after the break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Today, today it's just you and me. I'm, of course, in a temporary studio as I am getting ready to move down to my my homeland, uh, down to Texas. And uh, so I'm in a temporary studio. We don't have the ability here to do a an interview. So it's just you and me. Uh, and my and apparently my echo. I don't know if you can hear that in the microphone, but I can. I can certainly hear it in the room. It's a very empty house right now. Uh, but here we are, uh, and we're talking about the Synod of the Family. So let's start off. Uh, let's define what is a Synod. Well, what, of course, that's S-Y-N-O-D, if it's not coming across clearly on the radio. A Synod, according to uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia, uh, which I get to off of newadvent.org one of the sites I visit 
often to keep up with what's going on in the Catholic world. And, uh, and here is that definition of a synod. It comes from Greek, uh, synodos, and a synod is a general term for an ecclesiastical or a church gathering, ecclesiastical gathering under hierarchical authority uh, for the discussion and decision of matters relating to faith, morals, or discipline. And by discipline, we don't mean, um, you know, you're in trouble, but rather discipline how we, di- how we are disciples and how we order our lives uh, within the faith, right? That's what we talk about on the show every week, the implications of our faith, that's the discipline. So right now, over in Vatican, started earlier a couple of weeks ago, and it's going till the 25th, uh, we have bishops and cardinals uh, from around the world, not everyone, but, but there are certain ones that are there. Uh, they are gathered with the Pope to talk about issues relating to faith, morals, and disciplines. Uh, in this case, we're talking about the Synod of the Family. Now, last year, of course, there was the extraordinary Synod of the Family, and that, that's not the sense of extraordinary, by Jove, golly, that's wonderful. Uh, rather, it's extraordinary in the sense as, it, as in it is out of the ordinary. There's an ordinary synod that happens periodically, and this is the extraordinary. It's, it's just a, an added, out of, out, of the, out of the norm kind of a situation. So last year they had the extraordinary synod of the family. They started talking about this stuff. They released a document to help them in this synod, which is going on right now. And uh, when they are done, they will gather all of their discussions, they will put them in a document, and they will present them to the Holy Father. They'll present them to Pope Francis. And someone will write that document uh, to, to sum up everything that's been said, and then the Pope will then write a document uh, based on that that he wants to release to the whole world, to the church. Now, uh, this is not the first synod of the family. Pope John Paul had a synod of the family back in, uh, in 1980. And in 81, he released his document, which summed up all that was discussed and, and put things in clear perspective for the church in a document called uh, Familiaris Consortio. And of course, you can get that at the Vatican website, read through that. It's a great document uh, and really addresses a lot of the, the same things that they're addressing right now, except uh, the world has moved on and, and the crisis of uh, of marriage, right? The crisis of the vocation of marriage is, is in greater need and, and has some different contexts that need to be addressed. And the church is a living church, right? So uh, we have to adjust to the times, not so much in what we believe, but in how we approach, in the way that we speak, in the way that we, uh, the way that we interact with the world. Uh, because just like when Jesus was here, when Jesus lived and walked upon the earth, the gospel was proclaimed and preached in Aramaic, right? Jesus was a Jew and he spoke Aramaic and everywhere he went, he spoke Aramaic. And then, and then we have Paul and Paul comes along and he is a Jew, but he's also a Roman citizen. And now he's beginning to speak in uh, Greek to everyone. And then, of course, the New Testament is written in Greek and proclaimed in Greek. But the world presses on and then Rome comes and, and changes into, from this Hellenistic Greek into Latin. And so now the world uh, is speaking Latin and, and the church adjusts and the church now speaks Latin. And then, you know, and it goes on and on. And the, the church always seeks to speak the truth 
in the language of the times. And so that's what's going on right now is our world is now different even than it was in 1980. There are new challenges. There are new problems. There are new things that the church needs to take a look at and say, how does the gospel relate to this? And how can we word it in such a way that the people of our age and time can appropriate it and understand it? And because the church is universal, there are bishops from all over the world. So we have people from Germany and Africa and America and, uh, you know, everywhere. Uh, And so there they are. They're all bringing their perspectives. They're looking at the world that they inhabit, these bishops, uh, of their territories, of their dioceses. And they're saying, here are the problems that we face, and here is a solution I think might work. Now, the good thing about the church is uh, it's not a democracy, right? It's not a democracy. It's a kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. uh, And we have the Pope who is acting as steward of that kingdom. And so he's listening to everything that's going on and he's there, but not, I don't believe, participating, just listening to what the bishops are saying. Uh, And so here he is. He's listening to the bishops from Germany who are saying, here are our problems. Here are the things that we see that really are troublesome to the people of Germany. And here's our proposed solution. Now, uh, then the people of Africa say, you know, that solution isn't going to work in Africa. And it's really, we think, going against the doctrine of the church uh, over here as it relates to this. It's not just messing with discipline. It's also messing with doctrine. And, of course, we can't do that. And so there's ha- they're having a little bit of a, uh, a heated discussion. Uh, and this is kind of a brainstorming session for the church. Now, I've seen a lot of people uh, who are treating this not as if it's a synod, but as if it is a, uh, a political straw poll, right? They're seeing lots of vocal people trying to express their ideas and they see it as them trying to push something through onto the church. And they're getting really a little bit animated on the blogs. I don't know if you read blogs, but, but I read several and lately have been a little disconcerted at the level of almost panic that's, uh, that's going on around this Senate of the Family. And I think it largely stems from our our news culture, our 24-hour media, 24-hour 20, news cycle, right? That there's always some new crisis to focus on and, uh, and panic about for a little while. And then, uh, and then we'll move on to the next crisis and we'll forget all about this crisis ever having existed. And so that being the way that we consume media, that being the way that we really order our conversations on social media and in real life, uh, you know, that's created for us this lens, these, these glasses that we view even these church gatherings through, uh, that I think uh, we're doing a disservice to the church, uh, to a point that I don't think we realize that the damage that we're doing, uh, not only to, um, to our own relationships and conversations with others, but really even to the way that we understand the church and to the way that we understand God's relationship to the church. Remember, this show is all about understanding the foundations of our faith and the implications of our faith. And so I want to turn that a little bit and say, let's take a look at the implications of our panic regarding the synod of the family, this ordinary synod. Uh, 
what we're doing is we are reducing our view of the church to a human institution uh, separated into political camps. And these political camps, whether they be uh, our traditional political binary of liberal and conservative, or whether they be some other binary, we're still looking at this in terms of people um, campaigning for a specific end uh, and, and trying to influence the decision of the church. Now, it certainly could be because bishops are people, right? Bishops make mistakes. Bishops sometimes make big mistakes. And, and they come in and they very well may be campaigning for a certain end, which is not compatible with the church. It's entirely possible that that's happening. Uh, but it's still not worthy of our worry. One, because our worry wouldn't really do anything. We could sit here wringing our hands and, and shouting at the walls and getting everybody worked up into a fervor on social media. And that's going to do what exactly? Uh, we're not going to be able to, even if we make it all the way up to our bishop, who's not going to the synod, most likely, uh, it still doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make a difference in the synod for us to be worked up about the workings of what's going on in the church. Right. So that's the first thing is to to invite you to calm down and to look at this from a different perspective, because even if even if we have all of these bishops who are uh, introducing things which are are completely incompatible with the teaching of the church, uh, what we need to be doing is dedicating ourselves to fervent prayer on their behalf, not for the sake of the church. Uh, worldwide, because God preserves his church, period, end of story. God preserves his church. Uh, it says, uh, Jesus said to his disciples that the, the spirit, the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. One of the tenets of our faith is that God preserves his church through the office of Pope and those bishops who are in union with the Pope. And so we can be assured that the faith will stand strong, that the faith will not be corrupted, uh, and that we can trust uh, the doctrine, things that deal with faith, morals, and discipline that come down from the church. Now, the Pope, the Pope is a, he's a man, right? He's got his own uh, history, his own experiences, his own understanding of the world, and he is just a man. Uh, he's not free from all error personally, but on matters of faith, morals, and discipline, the Holy Spirit prevents him from proclaiming that error to the rest of the church. We are safe not because the church leaders are so holy, we're safe because God is faithful to his promises. Join me on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. We're going to talk about this and much more just after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Join our conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. I want to know what you think. Of course, today we're talking about the Synod of the Family that's going on right now in the Vatican with bishops from around the world, along with Pope Francis. And they're talking about how uh, how our faith, how these issues that are very important to the gospel, uh, how they interact with current issues that are affecting our world. And uh, family is a battleground. Now, uh, <laughs> maybe you're like, well, yeah, you've, you must have seen my family. Family is a battleground. Uh, but more than that, the devil hates families because they are a reflection of the communion of persons present in the Trinity, right? When God created man, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so he created woman and all the men said, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Right. Uh, and, but yet we are created for relationship. And so Satan will do everything that he can to destroy that relationship, uh, to, to mar that image of God as best as he can and make us independent of one another. Because when we are independent of one another, uh, we, we fall. We, as a society, we devolve. When our children no longer have the, the structure of the family to protect them, then they are exploited. Uh, things progress in such a way that the dissolution of the family directly impacts the sanctity of society. As the family goes, so goes society. In fact, uh, Sister Lucia, one of the three uh, children at Fatima, wrote a letter to Cardinal Carlo Cafra and said this, The final battle between the Lord and the reign of Satan will be about marriage and the family. Don't be afraid, because anyone who works for the sanctity of marriage and family will always be fought and opposed in every way, because this is the decisive issue. However, Our Lady has already crushed the head of the serpent. And so this is why we shouldn't worry. We shouldn't worry when we're opposed, uh, when we're promoting the dignity and the sanctity of marriage, because this is the thing that the devil hates. If he can destroy the family, he can destroy society. As society goes, so goes the family. And so we shouldn't be worried. We should be actively, fervently in prayer. In fact, the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, we read this from St. Paul. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. So that's the first thing. That's a command. Rejoice you right now. It's the understood you as a as the, the grammatic rule says, the subject of that sentence is the understood you. You rejoice in the Lord always. So if you find yourself and you are not in a place where you can rejoice in the Lord, I encourage you to take a moment, take five minutes, take some deep breaths, listen in prayer for the voice of God, not to the noise and the clamor of the news media or the noise and the clamor of everything else that's going crazy in the middle of your life or in the middle of the world. Take a deep breath and, and accept the Holy Spirit coming into you, speaking to you, speaking his only language, speaking the language of peace. And he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So he said it twice. It must be important. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. That, of course, comes from Philippians 4. And Paul is giving us really a a pattern for how we should approach these very difficult issues, these very uh, sometimes uh, disconcerting issues. And the primary thing is seek peace, right? Uh, How do we know that that's the goal? Because he says first that we're to rejoice, but then he says all of these things that we're to do And the result of that is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then at the end, he says, whatever's true. And then he says, the end result of thinking on those things is that the God of peace will be with you, right? So we see that the end desire of all of that Paul is telling us in this section is peace. We're desiring the peace of God. Now, I grew up, um, you know, we, we... participated in certain organizations and certain political uh, lobbying groups that uh, that every week there was another crisis. It's like you would donate your time, you donate your money, you donate your energy. And then next week, guess what? There was another crisis and they still needed your money and they still needed your time. And, and it was a never ending cycle. Uh, and what I noticed from this is that for all the good that these organizations may or may not have been doing, they were sowing discord because they were always looking for that next crisis in order to drive funds and drive involvement that they never got to the place of celebrating the good things that had been done. They never got to the place of dwelling in peace. And so I want to encourage you to distance yourself from the strife. Uh, Maybe you have to distance yourself from those who, who caused the strife Uh, but also those who promote it through their writing, those who promote it uh, just through their discussions, uh, draw them towards peace. But if they can't, you go towards peace anyway. You find your way to peace. Uh, And how do we do that? We accomplish that right here. We see it in Philippians 4 laid out for us. Uh, And Paul is not all the time very clear, right? I don't know if you've read much of Paul uh, in the New Testament. If you've read much of the New Testament, you've probably read Paul quite a bit because he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And Paul is not always easy to understand. And so when we get to these places uh, where he lays something out exceptionally clearly, the first thing we do is we say, thank you, Paul, for writing in a way that most of us can get, unlike most of the time. Thanks for coming down to our level and making this (laughs) understandable. But then the thing we do is we dwell we sit there and we, we marinate, right, in this clear language of Paul. And we let it seep into all of our cracks and our pores and, and affect the way that we live. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. I used to be a worrier. I used to worry about uh, politics and who was going to get under the White House and what kind of laws were going to get passed. And and I, I would just make myself almost sick with worry because there's always something to worry about. But this is what he says. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And so here's that that three-step process to getting to peace on a difficult situation. The first thing to do is to approach that thing. In this case, it's the extraordinary synod, but it could really be any issue of your life. To approach that thing in prayer. Now, uh, if you're like me, you can pray at a frenetic pace, right? We can get in there and say, oh, dear Jesus, this is so scary. Ah." And... (laughs) And that's not really helping us to peace either, right? So he says, uh, with prayer and supplication, supplication just means asking for yourself, right? Asking for something. Uh, With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Oh, that's the key right there, right? So we approach these difficult issues and we take them to the foot of the cross. We take them to Christ and we say, uh, here are things that are weighing on me. Here are things that I am concerned about, and I am thankful uh, for for your hand in this. I'm thankful that you rule and reign. I thank I, I thank you, Lord, that you uh, you knew the end of this before I ever even thought of it. I thank you, Lord, that you've not left me as an orphan. I thank you that you have uh, promised to guide me by your Holy Spirit. And so here's the thing that I so desperately desire to have happen and I give it over to you and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to put it in your hands and I'm going to trust that you have my best in mind. God cares for his church. He preserves his church, but he also cares for us, the members of that church. And his desire is not for us to run around uh, and creating tension and chaos. His desire is that we would dwell in peace that we would let our gentleness be known to everyone, that we would be characterized by our love for one another. This isn't just the power of positive thinking uh, because things are not always positive, but this is that we're not going to dwell in negativity, but we're going to rejoice that our God is King and that the end result is going to be taken care of. God's going to preserve his church. He's going to preserve us, the members of his church. So again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Come on over to social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls, On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And let me know some of your thoughts and your prayers for the Synod of the Family. When we come back, we're going to talk about some other prayers, some that Pope Francis has asked us to pray for the Synod, and much more. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. I am so glad that you're here. We're talking today about the Synod of the Family and a little bit about worry and how we should approach uh, issues, whether it be the Synod of the Family or something else, that cause us great distress and worry. Now, if you missed any part of this show and you want to catch it, maybe you want to hear something again, it wasn't quite clear. Maybe you think, hey, I know someone else that really needs to hear what you just said. Well, all of these shows are archived. Every show we've ever done is available at OutsideTheWalls.com. Of course, once you're there, you can also get it on your phone uh, through iTunes or through the Google Play Store, uh, a number of ways, and that all that information is available on the website, OutsideTheWalls.com. So we're talking today about the Synod of the Family and, and the importance of prayer in uh, both for the Synod and for ourselves and our peace. So Pope Francis uh, provided this prayer for the Synod of the Bishops uh, on the Family in his Angelus Address on the Feast Day of the Holy Family back in December of 2013. And uh, we're going to take some time. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'll also put a link to it on my social media. I know social media has been a little bit bare. I've been in the, uh, a month, a whirlwind month of getting ready to move uh, to Texas. And so we'll get those updated pretty quick here, and you'll be able to, to find all of these things that I've promised I would put on my social media over the last month. It will all be available. So uh, here is the prayer from Pope Francis, and we're going to pray it together and then I'll make that available as well. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, in you we contemplate the splendor of true love. To you we turn with trust. Holy family of Nazareth, grant that our families too may be places of communion and prayer, authentic schools of the gospel, and small domestic churches. Holy family of Nazareth, may families never again experience violence, rejection, and division. May all who have been hurt or scandalized find ready comfort and healing. Holy Family of Nazareth, may the approaching Synod of Bishops make us once more mindful of the sacredness and inviability of the family and its beauty in God's plan. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph graciously hear our prayer. And that's, if you find yourself disconcerted or nervous or reading too many blogs that are disconcerted and nervous about the Senate of the family, return to this prayer and others, uh, even the Lord's Prayer, which we talked about in that first segment, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the deal. God's will is going to be done. It's going to be done in the family. And, and yes, there are, there have been throughout history corrupt popes and corrupt bishops. But even in the midst of all of that, God has preserved his church. The doctrine of the church has been uh, held fast and secure. And we can trust that God is going to take care of us. He's going to take care of the church. He's going to take care of the doctrine of the church. And we can we can have faith and trust in that. Now, uh, a lot of the people in the blogs uh, who are concerned about this are fellow converts, people who didn't used to be Catholic, but then became Catholic. And they're approaching this almost as if they are looking at the politics that went on in the denomination that they came from. And yet we are not in the denomination that we previously came from. We are in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church to which 
Christ promised uh, his fidelity and promised his protection. And so uh, to those of you who are out there who are uh, converts along with me, right? I want to remind you of what we said at confirmation. I want to remind you of that declaration, that declarative statement uh, that we professed at the moment of our confirmation. And I want to call you to it. I want to call you back to that promise, that confirmation promise that you made, that vow. And we said this, I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church teaches, believes, and proclaims to be revealed by God. Listen to that again. I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church teaches, believes, and proclaims to be revealed by God. My friends, here is the thing. I believe, personally, me, I believe that God preserves his church. I believe that we have to approach these matters of faith with all seriousness and in all prayer, with supplication and with thanksgiving. We've got to be, uh, we've got to be praying for the church. But we're not just praying that God will preserve his doctrine because God is going to preserve his doctrine. We pray that he would lead his church and the leaders of the church to a place where they can meet the needs of this world as shepherds in a way that draws people to the church. It's not enough to just be orthodox, right? Right belief. That's what orthodox means, right belief. We have to have orthodoxy, right belief, and orthopraxis, right practice, right belief and right practice. Uh, We have to be Christ. We have to go where Christ went. We have to do the things that Christ did. And what Christ did was he made the gospel irresistible. He didn't, he didn't necessarily uh, compromise on anything. Although you and I, on this side of history, we see that Christ didn't compromise. And we say, well, uphold the truth. And yet, to the people of his time, Christ was scandalous. He talked with a woman at the well. There was no way that a man would talk to a woman, specifically one he didn't know and wasn't related to. Uh, he, he did things that were unconventional and we look at them now and say, oh, well, it was Jesus. And, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, you know, the, the practice of the church may look unconventional to us. The, the, the synod of the bishops may say some things that are worrisome to us. Uh, but we trust those things to prayer. And we ask for Christ's protection. And we trust. Things may look a little bit odd, but we trust that God is going to preserve his church. So join me in that prayer. Gracious Father, We ask that you would guard the bishops, guide their conversations, and lead them to the place where they can make the gospel irresistible to the world at large. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining me. Uh, Come back this time next week, and we'll do it again. Outside the Walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media, heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.